Welcome to Science Great New Zealand. Uh, my name is Kaiman, and alongside me I have Lorenzo. Hey, how's it going? Uh, so this is technically going to be our first, I guess, podcast episode. So um, the first couple of podcasts we'll just be talking about myself and Lorenzo, and today's episode we'll be talking about Lorenzo. So Lorenzo, uh, first class honours in his Master of Science in Pharmacology, and now he's working as a loan kit, techni- loan kit technician. Mm-hmm. Um, at a medical company so um hi lorenzo welcome i mean thank you you'll be here for all the episodes anyways but welcome yeah um but yeah we thought the best way to start these podcasts is just talk about ourselves and um we'll start with lorenzo so i guess i guess we'll start from the beginning um why did you get into science lorenzo right so i guess you could kind of blame or not blame my parents (laughs) and my upbringing for how i got into science yeah as a kid i was always quite nerdy and i still am and i love to read books yeah uh I would often go for science books, I'd pick up a map and just kind of look at the map of the world, always interested in biology ever since I was a kid, anatomy, that kind of stuff, like diagrams with all these pretty colors on it and pointing to things like, oh, this is your liver, this is your stomach and so on. So ever since then, it's kind of always been ingrained into me to go into science. So it felt very natural to progress through science in high school and then to do a bachelor of science in university. So you know how like you always hear about stories of like in high school you had that like one teacher that kind of I guess guided you or kind of gave you your interest was yeah. that did that kind of happen for you as one well high school? No, not really. No, <laughs> not in my case. If anything, yeah. if anything, the one teacher that really guided me through high school was an English teacher. Okay, and That's that was more so that he changed kind of my philosophy and viewpoint on how teaching should be. I see, and how different teachers that teachers aren't just against students that there are teachers who genuinely care about you and that teaching is extremely difficult task and that you kind of have to adjust for each student in different ways i mean it it is rare you do see a lot of teachers these days who i don't know if they enjoy their job they kind of are just here they're just coming in doing their work and then leaving but yeah that no that is interesting though to to kind of talk about to see how an english teacher kind of kind of help guide you through all of the situation because it, I thought it would have been a science teacher, yeah. biology, I mean, chemistry teacher. He, he didn't change my mind on English itself. I yeah. still dropped it at year 13 when I didn't <laughs> do it anymore. Yeah. But he really changed the way that I thought about teachers. Yeah. So, well, I mean, so did you, we'll call it the Asian five. Did you do the Asian five throughout high school as well? I or? didn't do physics. No. Yeah. So I, I did do biology and chem. Yeah. Uh, I did geography because I like geography yeah. a lot. But I didn't do physics, yep. so I didn't actually touch physics until year thirteen, where I was just I had one spot for a class left. <laughs> didn't want to do a level three NCA paper and took level two physics just for the lulls Ooh, to that, fill in the that, gap. That it was extremely easy, <laughs> but it didn't change my mind whether I like physics or not. It's, it's still applied math, let's be honest. Physics, yeah, so. basically. But um, well, good on you because I didn't do physics in high school. Full stop. I just I did P instead. I mean. I should have, maybe. Yeah, all internals, easy going. Played paintball for internals. Did well. you do rock climbing as well as part of your internals? No, we did We did golf. So, oh. uh, yeah, fancy we, we had rock climbing apparently, although kind of good I didn't do it because I had a fear of heights at that time. <laughs> fancy school yeah. at Hamilton doing golf for you, 13 PE. So, um, no, no, that sounds good. But um, how? So, let's talk about how high school into university. So, like, 
how did you kind of decide upon pharmacology for one or did you kind of generalize in biomedical science and then you kind of moved into pharmacology what was the, kind of like the process and the thinking yeah. behind that? so i at that point i hadn't decided what i wanted to major in i hadn't decided what i wanted to go into in the future which honestly that's normal nobody's going to know really very very few people are going to know what they want to do for a living and a career at that point that stage in your life it's very normal to change majors such. So at that point, I was kind of applying to both UOA and AUT. And I had a broad range of science and medical stuff I'd applied for. I applied for biomedical science, food tech, uh, nutrition, paramedicine. Uh, the one thing I didn't apply for was nursing because I'm Filipino and I vehemently did not want to be the stereotype of being a Filipino nurse. I already play the guitar. I already play basketball. I already <laughs> sing and dance. That's enough for me. I do. I did not want to be a Filipino nurse as well. Yeah. So, yeah. And then I ended up doing pharmacology after looking at it and going, isn't this just pharmacy? Taking a look at the differences. Oh, no, it's not. It's basically just, it's the pure science of the drugs itself, how they're made, how, how they work, the mechanism. Being a pharmacist didn't interest me, but the drugs and the medication did interest me. I wasn't super strong in chemistry, so medicinal chemistry was ruled out, just thrown out the window. And I thought, okay, I like biochem, so pharmacology might be good middle ground. And that's, I ended up doing an undergraduate, postgraduate diploma, and a master's all in pharmacology. So how, how did you feel about first year, you know, because going through biomed, that first year you had all those people who are kind of like, What's your name? Are you going to med school? How yeah. did how did you how did you kind of deal with that? Because I know that a lot of people, they, they kind of struggle with that because it yeah. is it is a bit weird. Because yeah. that's the first two questions they ask you. They're like, "Hi, my name is blah blah blah. What's your yeah. name? Are you in, going for medical school?" Because yeah. it's very I mean it is very competitive in Auckland as well. Um, but how, did did you have to deal with that, or was it kind of not more so of a, much? I think the university did have plans in a sense where they when you pick your lab streams they kind of wanted people who were all in biomedical science and going for med to be in the same-ish lab stream and then people from other majors to be in the same lab stream. So I didn't really experience that as often as some of my friends from high school who were going for med. Um, I did have to explain what pharmacology was a lot. I did have to explain the differences and basically, at most, I'd say, nah, I just don't want to be a doctor. That wasn't my thing. Yeah. It might have and I'll come to this later, it did yeah. go into my mind that maybe I did want to be a doctor sometime in second year, but that was for about two months. Yeah. And that's really it. It is, it is kind of hard though. You get that pressure of everyone wanting to do medicine yeah. and it's kind of like, am I missing out on doing medicine? You kind of get this brief moment of clarity where you're understanding everything you're studying and you think maybe I could go for med and then afterwards you go, nah. Yeah, it, it is it is very difficult and like, it's, those people really know they want to get in medicine, but like, if you're not, if you don't know, it, it, like Lorenzo said, it's okay to not know about yeah. what you want to do because there's so much time to change degrees, look into other things that interest you. It's perfectly normal to not know what to do yeah. at the start, especially in university. You've just been thrown out of a very structured and very restricted um, schooling system in high school yeah. to having this freedom of you don't even have to go to class, yeah. really. You could choose to binge watch all your lectures two out, like two weeks before your exam. Yeah. You have all this freedom, so naturally it's fine to feel lost and it's fine to 
you know, change. Well, I mean, you may have had the opportunity to listen to recordings when I went to university. Yeah. That, I had to bring my own little recorder yep, and yep. put it. That is, put it next that is something. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, like, yeah, it's, it is difficult. Um, and there are a lot of pressures, especially for first years, because if you do end up doing biomed or health science, but you actually don't want to become a doctor, there's a whole lot of pressures that you have to deal with. And um, we will bring people in who um, did post-grad medicine. I'll see if we can find someone who went through the undergrad to kind of talk about it as well. But yeah, don't worry too much about if you do or don't know. I know that your parents might be like, why are you doing this? You might question yourself sometimes, but it, we'll talk about this with Lorenzo as well because after he finished his degree, um, I guess you didn't know what you wanted to do yeah. either. And, yep. um, it, and it's the same thing for undergrad and coming to, out of um, university as well. Like, It's okay to not know. Science, especially in first year, you just get you get content just thrown at your face, yep. the front and center. And like... It's good in a way because it's kind of exposing you to what can be, what's out there, especially in research, if you don't want to get a medicine. But it's okay to not know what you want to do. And um, I think that's the main thing we want. We really do want to tell you guys, like, um, we'll talk about my stuff later on, but I kind of knew what I wanted to do, but not exactly. It, things didn't go according to plan, um, but we can talk about that later because this is about Lorenzo and his journey. But, yeah, so... Let's talk about postgraduate research. Postgraduate, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you went through um, postgraduate diploma. Mm-hmm. So I think we should kind of explain that because there are yeah. two types of postgrads. There is your honors and your postgraduate diploma. And in your honors, you do, I guess, postgrad papers along with research. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like you would say part-time for each. Yeah, part-time for each. And the whole idea there is those papers that you do support that very short dissertation that you're going to write at the end of your honors. Whereas for a postgrad diploma, uh, you just do eight papers. It's basically a fourth year. You do eight papers throughout the whole year. Uh, whether or not you do a master's after that is your choice. Yep. And depending on how you put it, you could either have a master supervisor already lined up and they help you pick your papers, or you do a variety yep. and you'll decide on what kind of project you want from that. Yeah. I guess in a sense, like honors is kind of exposing you earlier to what research is all about because mm-hmm. you are in the labs but you still have the option to do papers but in I guess there's pros and cons with both because yeah. like postgraduate diploma it is solely just papers yeah. again yeah. and then while there are some papers in mas- in that postgraduate diploma that kind of help you into your masters eventually you go into your masters and you're in the lab yep <laughs> I, trying I, to adjust and if you weren't lucky enough to have a summer student so summer studentship yeah you will your only lab experience will really be from teaching labs, which yeah. are very very different from actual research labs. Yeah. Like, like, just let's, let's just put it out there. Like those labs in first and second year, they're essentially made to work. Yeah, they're designed. They're almost foolproof. Yeah, they're designed to teach you a concept. Yeah, that is not representative of what the daily experience in a research lab is. Yes, like. It's, it's kind of like what companies are like. Like you only see the 1% because that's the success. That 99%, that's the part that I guess a lot of people do struggle with, with research because like you said, undergrad, you do research. There might be times that it didn't work and you do explain it. You could say human error, technology error. But the issue with labs and undergrad is that you do that, but then that's it. You f- mm-hmm. That's it. But once you're actually in the lab, you have to figure out why, the, why isn't this working? How can I do this differently? And it's... I think we do need 
more labs like that where it's like consecutive labs where yep. you do things and if it doesn't work, you can come back the next week and be like, well, I figured, I thought about this again, maybe this would work. Because, yeah, like those labs are really good to kind of bring in like that concepts of theory into practical and don't get me wrong, we're both thankful because we got paid to kind of teach yeah. in those labs <laughs> as well. So yeah, we're not, yeah. we're not yeah. bagging it, it's just that it could, it could be done better, but we just want to know, we just yeah. want you guys to know is that those labs are great, but it only teaches you, I guess, certain fundamentals of research but it doesn't really talk about what happens if things go wrong and how you can do that but it's it's there to supplement what's in the lecture content of course really yeah whereas you could think of research labs and if you come across an error that's that's if you ignore it today that's also tomorrow use problem yeah. or your next week's problem or your next month's problem whereas yeah. if you're in just a teaching lab once that's done you just don't get marks for it yeah and at most, it'll be a problem for you when you're trying to look back and go, why was that wrong? Yeah. But it's not going to snowball into mistakes for you. Yeah. And like when you're actually in a research position or in a working position. Yeah. So how did, how did your masters go? Did you have like a good lab group? How was, what was your project about? Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I guess in a sense, did you enjoy what you were going through? Yeah. So o overall, I did like it. I guess I'll start with what, a brief of what my project was. It's on PR3K Alpha. It's basically, it's this um, protein that's heavily involved in cancer. And all I had to do, well, not all I had to do, but the, the gist of it is I was using molecular docking, a lot of computer work, and some mass spectrometry, MALDI-TOF, uh, to kind of find an alternate binding site on PR3K Alpha, which at the time, there is no, there was no publications for a proven alternate or allosteric binding site for PA3K alpha. Um, not going to go into too much detail about that because I don't know if I'm actually allowed to say that. I'm pretty sure I am because my thesis is on the library now. No, no embargoes or anything? Nah, it's yeah. done. The, yeah. the, the one-year embargo is lifted, I'm pretty sure. Oh, cool. Yeah, because that was yeah. two years ago. So, yeah, I mean, I like the, um, I like the project. The only reason I did the project was because that was the only one I wanted to do. I wanted to do, um, and I wanted to have a go at molecular docking, the kind of uh, computerized research over uh, traditional lab work, although I did spend a month or two in an actual lab. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was what I expected. It was a lot of kind of data management and staring at a spreadsheet, which will happen regardless of what project you do. That is part of science. You will be looking at Excel. It will be your friend. And if it's not Excel, it will be GraphPad Prism. Um, so that's normal. Uh, about halfway through, I realized that research isn't for me, not because I didn't like the project. I liked the project, but because I didn't like the career path that researchers had. Yeah. I didn't like the instability or the unlikelihood of knowing where you're going to be in two years' time is in three years' time, what your pay is, or you're going to be financially you know, fine. I didn't like that. I'm someone who prefers some structure and some stability for what I would call the more boring parts of my life, yep. which is your nine to five, the yep. thing that's giving you your money to do the more fun things in life, everything outside your nine, nine yep. to five. So I kind of went, all right, I'll finish this. I'll take what experience I can from this. I'll give it the best I've got when writing my dissertation, obviously. And after this, I'll see what I can do in the workforce and go into job hunting after that. Um, and I guess we, we talked about this quite a lot in terms of finishing off your master's and where you want to go from there because, yeah, like, 
it is like difficult it's probably an understatement finding jobs in new zealand mm-hmm. like um it's it's one of those things where like you don't know until you give it a go yeah like you think oh there must be jobs out there you yep. you think like you, you've got your master's yeah. i'm qualified than a lot of people but <laughs> you start to realize that it's ev- hard even having your yeah. master's everyone a lot of times coming out of science already have their master's yeah. or their phd and they realize that it's not for them so it's kind of like it's difficult and we i mean we talked about this like yeah. we it's like you you applied for a copious amount of jobs yeah. before you even got your role and yeah. that wasn't even a fixed term it was just a was it, a, it was just it was, a camp. yeah it was a contract kind yeah. of temp. it's a temp i'm officially a temp that's what yeah. it was yeah so yeah it's it is it is difficult and mm-hmm. um but i mean you got there but we, i mean we, we we can well we may as well talk about like yeah. how you got from your masters to where you are now because yeah. like i said you apply for a whole bunch of jobs it's hard and when we say it's difficult and when someone tells you it's difficult just i don't know it's difficult squared. It's way harder than you think. Yes. It's a lot harder than you think. Yeah. No matter how qualified you are, the biggest inf- the biggest thing you can do is connections, and that's really what's helped. Yeah. So if we kind of go on to how I got to where I am now, my first job out of um, university was actually a fixed-term contract role with Auckland Council with um, the animal management team. Every year, if you own a dog, you'll know about this because... Uh, if you had a yellow tag, I think a year or two ago, I probably sent that out to you. Basically, Auckland Council will hire a team of people to uh, do a lot of customer service work and simple data entry, get people, follow up on people to register the dogs, otherwise you get fined. By the way, the money goes to saving dogs and keeping them in shelters. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's a for a good cause. So, yeah. And it's, you know, if your dog ever goes missing, it's how they keep track of things because they've got microchips and all that. So it's yeah. all it's all useful stuff. Basically, the point is I got that job because my uncle worked in animal management at the time and my mom is an HR person for Auckland County. So, so I had significant um, help. I had a lot of connections and basically nepotism to help me get to that <laughs> point. Now, is everyone going to have that? No, but I'm, I'm saying, all I'm saying is use your... Use what you have to your advantage. Yep. It's nobody is going to, you know, oh, I'm not going to apply for this role because my mom's a team leader or whatever. Use everything that you have because everyone's going to, like it's at that point when you're searching for a job, it's really every man for himself, every man for themselves. And so you got to add more to what makes you the ideal candidate. Yeah, so it's, it's one of those things where I kind of see this quite often with, people coming out of science they have i guess pride and ego is probably Mm -hmm. the main way to talk about it because they're like i have my masters therefore i should be paid x y and z why should i be applying for these jobs i have a master's already and that thinking is it's probably not the best way to think about it is science is one of those degrees where like you do it for the love of it um it's not like law or engineering where you kind of finish your degree and it's, you're straight into a yeah, firm yeah yeah it's science is a little bit different like if you don't do, like research or if you've done research you don't like it you kind of it's it's there's that one percent who really do just get very lucky and find their job straight away but then the other 99 percent, you have to start somewhere and i mean i think lorenzo can attest this like university while people focus on grades so much and doing well it's really the people who you actually start 
knowing who you can people that you meet yeah Yeah, like you might see this dude who might not even be in science like if if you're doing genius and stuff you have this guy who's doing a completely different degree you never know they might come in handy Mm -hmm. in the future like it's it's all like like lorenzo said it's once you go out into the workforce everyone's just thinking about themselves and you need to find a way to kind of kind of give you that x factor in your cv and it might just be you might know someone you've kind of yep. kept up with might not be in science Gotta they, stand up. yeah they have to be um they will be there to kind of help you kind of give you the right context if they might not be able to help you but they might know someone who can as well yeah and, um i think that's one thing people do need to kind of kind of focus on it's grades are great like of course you want to do great you want to get those first class honors and kind of make your parents proud and make yourself proud but don't focus on Reese like studying too much. You need you need to make you need to make friends. These friends yeah. might be lifelong friends. It could, they you, you might not see them for a couple of years and you see them again and you reconnect. It's just all about building those connections, going to those network events. Like I said, they are yeah. very important to kind of get you to where you need to go. And yeah, you never like, know. It it really sounds cliche, but it really is more about the friends you make along the yeah. way. Of course, you know. Yeah, it's 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 very important like don't there's that mindset of like i have to do well especially in biomed where you're dealing with medical students yeah. in that first year who are like i have to get an a i have to get yeah. an a plus or i won't get into med school but i guess we can talk about this like once you kind of get past first year second and third year in postgrad <laughs> everything's a lot more chill like I, I will say fourth year was my favorite year yes definitely it, yeah postgrad once you've kind of yeah. Once you've kind of know what you're specialising in, you've got a small cohort of people that you actually yep. want to you, do. You know the lecturers, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you, it's, it's again, build those connections up and see where it takes you. But yeah, so you've kind of used your parents and your family, and that's always great. If you have people in the industry and kind of understand what what you're going through, that's always great as well. But I, I, I mean, not everyone will have that will be in that situation. So yes, yeah, so I mean you might have to take a detour to get to your goals of your dream. Yeah. But you, everyone just needs to kind of think a bit, a bit more long-term about where they want to go. Yeah. Like, don't think too short-term. Be like, just think about, will you be in this job in two years' time? Probably not, because you're using this as a stepping stone for mm-hmm. the year after. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the strength in science isn't the science itself, really. It's the flexibility. Yes. And the tools that doing a science degree gives you, which is being very good at problem solving, being able to do processes yeah. and just basically being flexible. Yeah, it, is re- it really is. It's, science really does help you with the analytical side and makes you, the way you kind of question things in life, it actually is very good in science, but also in business and industry as well. But yeah, so you've kind of, like we said with Lorenzo, you've did your work at the Auckland Council and then, then you kind of move back into science in a, in a mm-hmm. way so yeah. how did how did that kind of come about yeah so this one was entirely just i guess you could say luck or what you would call the traditional way of landing a job yeah seek uh got in contact with a recruitment agency who was advertising on seek on behalf of the company and they contacted me i met them in person they you know told me uh this is there's a role that we have that's opened up it's with it's with the medical device division known as Depusynthes. They work on orthopedic stuff. And the role was to be a lone kit technician. At the time, kind of didn't know, really know what it was. They showed me the kind of work that you did. Thought it would be interesting to essentially play out the fantasy of um, 
messing with like equipment that you didn't really know what to do and just kind of look through see how things work so i said yeah okay i'll give it a go it'd be a great opportunity it'll be a great learning experience and i'm definitely glad i took it because frankly the job itself not too difficult but it is always very interesting to see the different kinds of things that you're dealing with on a daily basis and to add on to loop back to the whole everybody's got a master's thing everybody in my immediate team there at least has an honors degree and the two people that don't are have decades of experience yeah. in medical science in yeah. sterile services and pharmaceuticals yeah. and so we're, on we're not discouraging people to not yeah. do masters we're just yeah. saying that we're saying that it is saturated yes yes and that even when you do get your masters you need to be able to stand out beyond just yep. your degree and beyond your academic achievements yeah of course like that that will come into play for example like you end up being a teaching assistant at university of Auckland yep. that taught you i guess people management project management time management all important things that you kind of need within um i guess in any other jobs mm -hmm. you also almost took a graduate teaching assistant role almost, yeah so right that, before covid yeah um that's all about i guess public speaking i guess more time management as well yeah. and yeah it's that masters is very important but it's kind of what you do around that masters that will kind of give you a bit more advantage make you a more rounded you candidate. have to you have to supplement that masters yes. experience and you have to supplement basically your entire university experience with other things co-curriculars yes. those co-curriculars in high school, you used to have to do co-curriculars just because it was a requirement to do one each term. Yeah. In university and in life, you kind of need to do them because that's what's going to help you get anywhere in life, really. Yeah. But I mean, well, it, it, like, it, it, it was difficult we, for you as well. Like, you, like I said, over hundreds of applications, mm -hmm. um, you would get... I mean, you would, you would get interviews and you think it goes somewhere. You might even get interviews. Some companies might not even re respond to your application. You just don't hear from them for months and yep, you're like... and that's normal. And then you're just like, oh, okay, maybe that job didn't look for my job as well. So it is difficult. And I guess, like I said, this is one of the reasons why we started this podcast because yeah. we just want to bring awareness about this whole situation for all of yeah. you guys, for the students and for the parents as well so yeah. they kind of understand what's yeah. happening. It's to give you something to relate to and it gives you a bridge, a much needed bridge between finishing uni to going into the workforce. Of course. Yeah. Uh, when, when we finished studies, we didn't really have really anything to kind of base it off of. No. It's, it's purely anecdotal speaking to other people who are yeah. experiencing the same thing yeah. and it's not until now we decided look there's definitely a gap yeah. for this and we thought it would be a good thing to give back to essentially the general not generations yeah. but the few the few years <laughs> the, ages below the ancestors us before yeah. us <laughs> to the future century yeah it's it's you you get that quite a lot as well so like um we can talk about um linkedin linkedin is very useful yep. but if you start using linkedin and you start talking to people a lot of people in science are like i want to give back because i too understand how hard this is and mm -hmm. i was given an opportunity that and now i feel like i need to give advice and stuff and you get that a lot and i think um as you kind of go into this career of whatever you want to go into you will find people who are genuinely willing to help you to get to where you are um but i guess for us we're just kind of bringing this awareness out for everyone just so that you guys know, the parents know that it's difficult in New Zealand, in Australia, competition is high. You just need to find ways to kind of 
get yourself out there. Don't be afraid of rejection. I guess that's a lot of things that people don't realize. Like, I mean, if you're a guy, um, if you ask girls out, sure, you might get rejected <laughs> a couple of times. But, I mean, life goes on. You just have to pick yourself up, try again, and just it's okay to ask for advice and help from people. Like, go onto LinkedIn, go talk to people that are in, like, whatever in careers that you might be interested in because they actually, a lot of them will generally be like, yes, I want to talk to you. There are times I've heard of people that they even shadowed them for a couple of days to see what they do and just see, um, I guess, if this is right for them. Um, yeah, I mean, do you have any other pearls or advice that you would kind of want to give, like, through your career where it is now? Anything else that you kind of want I think wanna... definitely accepting that you're going to be declined positions or even ignored from further progress through an application process is very common. Uh, having standards to what you're applying to is fine. That's normal. But at some point, you have to think, are my standards too high? Should I look for something you know, outside of my comfort zone? Because ultimately, you kind of have to think, what's more important? Uh, satisfying my standards or getting the experience so that in the future I can satisfy my standards because yeah. that's definitely a kind of an, an investment or toss that you got to go through because yeah. it's either you could either completely lock out and get something that you really want right off the bat or you might not get that for three years and in that three years while you while you don't have that you could have been doing something else and earning some more money and gaining experience as well so yeah. Don't be afraid to drop your standards and don't be afraid to just keep applying, keep going. Take a look at LinkedIn. Some people might tell you that LinkedIn is basically just professional Facebook. I mean, it kind of is. You do get those kind of spammy, um, almost clickbait posts where it's, oh, the CEO hired a homeless man or yeah. I saw somebody pick up rubbish in the road and hired them kind of thing. And now he's the CEO and of now, this. And now, and now he's the CEO <laughs> of this, this, you know, now he's Elon Musk. You yeah. know? But point is being, it's LinkedIn is there for a reason. Everybody's there because they want to develop their professional careers. Don't be afraid to use it. Make a half-decent um, LinkedIn page. And yeah, just really make use of all the resources that you have. Make use of what's available. Be flexible. That is the strength of a science graduate. Use your brain. Analyze situations. Problem solve. Applicable to every single day, every minute of your life. So, yeah. Cool. Thanks so much, Lorenzo. Um, I guess we'll call that the end of this podcast. Um, hopefully, you guys have learned some stuff from Lorenzo. Um, like he said, it's all about your connections. Think long-term and not short-term. It's really about where you want to see us in five years' time. And it's okay to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere with science as well. Yeah. But oh, oh, I'm going to add now that he's mentioned it. That is a very common interview question. Where do you see yourself in five years' time? Search it up on Google how to answer that. It's brilliant. They, they always ask that. If you're in your second interview, your third round interview, even your first, they will often ask you, where do you see yourself in five years' time? But just make sure you sound genuine about it. Yeah, be, be very genuine. Yeah. A, a, good, a good thing to say is to just... Um, describe yourself as someone with more experience in the role that you're, that you're applying for. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Lorenzo. Um, hope to see you guys next week. All right. See you.